Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? I heard a woo in the crowd. That's unexpected at 9.30 in the morning. My name is Dee McIntosh, and I'm one of the pastors here at CPC. I'm the pastor of local missions. And today we start a new sermon series on Advent. Thanksgiving has passed, and my body hasn't quite adjusted to the fact that Thanksgiving is no longer here. I continue to eat all of the leftovers that I have. And to be honest, if I wasn't in front of you, I'd probably be wearing sweatpants right now. I don't quite think I can fit into my normal clothes at this moment. But we are in the season of Advent, and this is the first Sunday of Advent. We start a new sermon series entitled, Come and See. When I was in seminary, I completed a chaplaincy unit. It was about three or four years ago when I had the brilliant idea that I would be very good at being a chaplain. And I spent my time rotating between the emergency room, hospice, and the intensive care unit. And halfway through my practicum, I went to my shift early one morning, and my supervising chaplain told me that we had a very important meeting to attend. Two doctors from the intensive care unit had scheduled a meeting with a family whose young son had been accidentally shot in the head. The meeting was to ask the parents to pull the plug. They had determined that he was brain dead and that there was no chance that he would be able to come back. And as we filled the small conference room, it was the young man's two parents, his five siblings, about four or five of his closest friends, the two doctors, and the chaplain and I. It was a very small conference room, and needless to say, it was very packed in this room. And after the doctors told the parents the news, I watched as the entire room filled with sorrow. And everyone in the room began to cry. And after a moment, the young man's father stood up and he walked across the room towards the door. And just before he got to the door, he fell down on his knees. His head fell into his lap and he began to cry. And just like that, the entire room grew silent as we watched this father cry for the loss of his son. And as moments passed, he finally lifted his head, and he began to stretch his arms out wide, and he did something that we were not anticipating. He began to sing. You are Alpha and Omega. We worship you, our Lord. You are worthy to be praised. You are Alpha and Omega. We worship you, our Lord. You are worthy to be praised. We give you all the glory. We worship you, O Lord. You are worthy to be praised. 
worship you, our Lord. You are worthy to be praised. And he sang this song over and over and over again. And as he continued to sing, you are Alpha and Omega, we worship you, O Lord, every person in the room began to sing with him. The two doctors, the chaplain and I, the five siblings, his wife, and the four or five friends that were present. And we all began to sing, you are Alpha and Omega, we worship you, our Lord. You are worthy to be praised. And when the song finally came to an end, the father stood back up. He walked towards his wife, and he took her hand. And she stood along with him, and hand in hand, they walked to the door. And just before he got to the door, he turned to the doctors and said, you may turn off the machine. We know who our son belongs to, and the darkness shall never overcome the light. The darkness, he said, shall never overcome the light. We have entered into a new season. Thanksgiving is now gone, and we enter into a season that is very important and significant for Christian believers. It is the season of Advent, a season where we meditate on and we hopefully anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. Last week, David Hammond and I, our director of worship, set out on a little journey to downtown Minneapolis. Many of you may have seen the video at last week at the beginning of the story service where we asked people what they think hope means. And I was struck by the amount of people who were willing to say on camera that Christmas season, this holiday season, is the most difficult and darkest season that they experience all year. It amazes me that in a season noted for holiday cheer, a season of glitter and glamour, of Christmas lights and holiday jingles and caroling, that Christmas is among the most difficult for many people. And as I was preparing for my sermon, I came across a quote by William Temple, and it says, that, it says this, let us at all costs avoid the temptation to make our Christmas worship a withdrawal from the stress and sorrow of life into a realm of unreal beauty. It was into the real world that Christ came. He comes to us not to shield us from the harshness of the world, but to give us the courage and strength to bear it. Not to snatch us away by some miracle from the conflict of life, but to give us peace, his peace in our hearts. He comes not to snatch us away by some miracle. Not quite the sermon you had in mind for the first Sunday of Advent, is it? I was expecting, to be honest, a, a sermon full of holiday cheer in anticipation of our king. But you know what strikes me most about this quote is that despite the celebrative nature of the holiday season, one thing, at least scripturally, is clear. That the prophetic proclamation of the coming of Christ was precisely as William Temple stated. That Christ came to us not to shield us from the harshness of the world, but to give us the strength and courage, and if I may add the hope, to bear it. Today I want to look at a familiar passage in the Bible, one that is usually used in the coming of Advent and in the season of Christmas. It will be the book of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, 6, and 7. And before I go into the scripture, I just want to give you a little context. The book of Isaiah is atypical 
for most prophetic books in that it covers the pre-exilic period, the exilic period, and the post-exilic period. What I mean by this. The book of Isaiah spans before the Israelites went into exile, while the Israelites were in exile, and after they come out. There's no other book that covers such a large span of time. And in this particular passage in chapter 9 that we will look at this morning, the Israelites are in this pre-exilic period. It is before they go into exile, and they are under the tyrannical rule of King Ahaz, probably one of the most despised kings in Judah. Verse 2 begins as such. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. And he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. May the zeal of the Lord of hosts bring this to pass. Now you will notice in verse 2 that there are two categories of people being highlighted. The first group, Hayam, Haholachim, Bahosek, Ra'u, or Gadol. Hayam in the Hebrew is the people, Haholachim. That means who are continuously walking. The word there, Haholachim, implies intentionality. These are people who are consciously walking a life of sin. These are people who are consciously walking in darkness. The second group of people then are those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, those who are subjected to living or experiencing darkness. I think many of us are like this, those who experience brokenness of the world as a product of living in a world and a realm that is full of sin. In verse 6 and 7, we see here a declaration of a son being born, a king, one who will establish his kingdom of peace, of righteousness, and of justice. And as I looked at this passage, I began to notice that something was missing. I have had 10 years of Hebrew. And when I go into the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, I first look in the Hebrew. I go to the English if I can't make sense in the Hebrew, and then I go to my commentaries in case something quite doesn't make sense. And there's something missing here. You will notice that the introductory language that is typically used for a prophecy is not here. This is perhaps the most known, best known prophecy of the coming of Christ. But there is no, thus saith the Lord. There is no, the Lord spoke to me saying, there is no the son of man, write this down. So I went to my commentaries to try to figure out what is missing here, what's going on here. Because in the Hebrew, there's something here not quite making sense. And I came across something that is so special, so rare in occurrence, that it literally stopped me in my tracks. All 10 of my commentaries unanimously agreed. And for those of you who don't know, trying to get two commentaries to agree on any one thing in the entire Bible is like a hot, sunny day in the middle of January in Minnesota. <laughs> now, I've only been in Minnesota 10 years, but in the 10 years, I have never seen a hot, sunny day in the middle of January. This is extremely rare. And what all the commentaries seem to agree upon is that this passage is considered to be a hopeful declaration. That is, is that the Israelite people are so enshrouded in darkness 
They are on the one hand facing exile, and on the other hand under the tyrannical rule of a ruthless king, that they have fallen on their knees before the Lord in desperation, proclaiming in hope what it is that they most desire, a king to be born to them who will establish a kingdom of peace. This for us would be synonymous to Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement where African-Americans were experiencing segregation, the violence of lynching, and a man stood above the fray to declare, I have a dream. This is what's going on here in this text. Last week, John Crosby finished out a sermon on abundance, and he told us that when nothing else remains, that faith, hope, and love is all that remains. And I think that it's worth saying that this is a great example of hope. Can you imagine being in deep darkness and still finding a way to proclaim the light that you most desire? This week has been perhaps the most difficult week for me. It has been a week where the racial divide in our country has been made very clear. And I mourn a family who mourns the loss of their son. And I mourn a nation that is still divided by race. I mourn the lack of mercy and compassion out of the mouths of Christians. Now, I am a social media junkie. I I profess it to be. I, I blame it on just my generation. I come from a generation where social media has always been there. And it strikes me that on social media, we have found a way to attack one another in ways that I would say it's not godly. And in this week, I have been asked, probably more times than I could count, what my thoughts are on Ferguson and where I stand and what I believe about race in our country. And I've answered that question precisely the same. My husband had a grandma who lived with him when he was young. And if you ever ask my husband anything about his grandma, he'll tell you two things. First, She was tiny. In fact, they called her Grandma Tiny because she was all of 4'10 on a good day. (laughs) The second thing he'll tell you is that she had an open wound on her leg that never closed. And this wound would pus, and it would fester, and it would boil, and it would leak. And there were times when this wound smelled so bad that he would tell you it would make your stomach turn. And no matter what doctor they went to, no matter what clinic they went to, No matter what kind of treatment they sought after, the wound would never close. And one day, my husband went to his grandma when he was young. He was about 10, and he asked her how she came about the wound. And she told him that when she was a young girl in Liberia, she had been cursed, and she had the wound ever since. For me, race is like this wound. It's an open wound that festers, that leaks, that boils over, and it never closes. And unlike my husband's grandma, I was born with this wound, and much like my husband's grandma, I will die with this wound. And there are times when I don't notice it at all. But friends, I'm telling you, there are days when this wound smells so bad that it causes my stomach to turn. And that was Tuesday for me. And so I left CPC in the middle of the workday, and I jumped into my car, and I drove to the park right over there across the street. I am a closet crier. I cry most in my car. I don't like crying in front of people, but you get me by myself and I will bawl like a baby. And if I'm more specific, I cry more of my car than I do anywhere else. 
And so I went to the park across the street, and I got in my car, and I began to weep over the brokenness and the darkness in our country and in the brokenness that I'm experiencing within myself. Now, I don't know what that darkness may be for you. It may not be Ferguson. It may be cancer in your family or a recent death. It may be the brokenness of a relationship, whether that be a marriage or with children. It may be the fighting in the Middle East or financial insecurity. It may be drug addiction or trouble at work or even joblessness. But none of us are exempt from the harsh realities of life, are we? Show of hands, who's exempt from the harshness of this earth? Nobody. Because we all experience the ordinariness of evil. And it may not be in this season, but many of us have lived long enough to know that the dark night always comes. And as I sat in my car overcome with emotion, I remembered a particular passage that gave me hope. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I repeated this in my car over and over and over and over again. And it was in that moment that I found the courage to turn my key back on, to turn my car around, and to walk back into work, remembering the commitment that I made here at CPC towards justice and compassion of reconciliation and discipleship. Friends, what is the darkness in your life? And where do the dark places lie? And how might the light of Christ shine anew in your life? I challenge us this morning to first acknowledge that the darkness is here and that it is present. It is present in each of our lives. And no matter how manicured our lawn is, no matter how great we look on the outside, we each experience darkness. Second, I challenge us all to not face that darkness alone. I don't know what it is about American culture, but we hate having to be honest with other people, don't we? We don't like exposing all of our junk and mess to others. So I challenge us to find someone that you can trust and expose that darkness, whatever it may be, whether it's individual or communal darkness, to expose it. And third, and perhaps most importantly, to take that darkness before the Lord, to lay it before his throne of grace, and to pray that the light of Christ would shine anew in your life. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a moment of silence. I should say we are all going to take a moment of silence. And in this moment of silence, I just want us to reflect on our lives, reflect on this holiday season, that in this season of waiting, I think it is so easy for us to get caught into the joy and the movement and all the hustle bustle of Christmas. I've already gotten my Christmas tree. I've already put the lights on. My neighbors already put all the Christmas lights on around their houses. I mean, it's, we get so caught up in the rush of Christmas that we rarely stop to just sit. So in this moment, I ask that we just sit and we reflect on the real reason that Christ came. He came so that we may have light in the dark. And after the moment of silence, I'm going to pray for us.
And then we are going to have wonderful music. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And then I will pray us out. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that Christ did not come for the glitter or for the glam. He didn't come for that unspoken rivalry between neighbors about who has the best Christmas light display. He didn't come for the overeating and senseless overshopping that I am so guilty of. But Christ came into the harshness and messiness of our world, into a world of brokenness, a world of sickness and disease, a world of pain and loneliness. Father God, I pray that we would be as the Israelites, who in the midst of facing such deep darkness, they cried out in hopeful declaration of the light that would come, of the one who would one day come and establish a kingdom of peace and of justice and of righteousness. Oh God, may we experience you anew this Advent season. May we be reminded that in our waiting, that you come to meet us exactly where we are, wherever we are. And we pray all these things in your matchless son's name. In Jesus Christ, amen.